Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Amen. Let's praise him because he has given us his son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much. That song, so powerful. It reminds us of what you've done for us. There's nothing that we can do to make up for or to achieve some kind of salvation. You have done it all. And so we rest in the fact that you've completed all that's necessary. And now all of life is just a response to your great love for us. And Lord, even as we heard just now, I pray that you will remind us that it will be etched on our memory, etched into our hearts, even stronger today as a result of opening your word, what you have accomplished, what you've already done, that the cross would be forever in our memory. And it would remind us of how much we're loved by you. So I pray for encouragement in every heart. Lord, I pray for every broken person, every one of us who are struggling in this world. And those of us who are doubting our faith, may today be confirmed. Those who wonder about our salvation, Lord, may today be the day that we wonder no longer. And may you speak into our hearts that will never be the same. Lord, bring renewal into our lives. I pray that personal renewal will come today and throughout this season. And could it be that it would go viral and that you bring revival among us. Lord, in this place, however you would want to do that. Lord, we love you. We give our hearts, our minds to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. That's one of my favorite anthems. Amen. That, that is just, I mean, they, our, our choir and orchestra do a lot of great songs, but that one is incredible. There's nothing like gathering together and be reminded of his grace for us. How many of you, I'm curious, how many of you have been tracking following this Ashbury Revival? Has anybody seen this? The Ashbury Revival? Ashbury uh, Outpouring? I'm not sure what to call it, right? I guess we'll know later. So at some point, is it a revival that really has changed hearts and lives? I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And um, I, I would just say this, for those of you who don't, don't know what I'm talking about, it sets up the message today, because what we're driving at today, what we're going for, is more of Jesus, less of us, and personal renew renewal in our lives. Starting today, Wednesday night, as we enter into Ash Wednesday, as a portal, a door into a season of restraint, of repentance, and of renewal. But that's not a season of life. It's every day for the Christian. What's happening in Ashbury, at Ashbury University, it's in Lemoore, uh, Kentucky. It's a, uh, I think, historically Methodist um, university. And unlike a lot of uh, uh, formerly Christian, historically Christian uh, churches, I mean, uh, university, this is a Christian university. And um, we, we know that the Lord is, is honored in this place. And so on uh, February 8th, uh, students were having chapel like they do. And at the end of chapel, it wasn't just necessarily an extraordinary sermon or emotional moment or anything. But they just got up and sang and started praising the Lord and worshiping Him. And they stayed. And they're still there. They haven't stopped praising and worshiping the Lord. And for some who, uh, I know on social media or in the news, some are wondering, questioning all the things, and is it real revival and all of those kinds of things. I'm intrigued by it because it forces those questions. Um, what is revival? What does that look like among a people? 
Um, again, I'm for it. I'm for it. Like people ask me, Jeff, what's your millennial view? I, and is it amillennial and premillennial? I'm pro-millennial. Like, let's just come on. Let's go. Um, and in the same way, uh, I'm for this. And uh, what's happening, again, is, it, is this a long church service or is something different going on there? And I can tell you that most of what we're seeing is, is students just singing to the Lord, but there's a lot more happening. I took a deep dive this week because I'm really intrigued by it. I'm praying for, for Gen Z constantly. been praying for revival for years and years. And what is happening, there are testimonies that are coming forth. People are coming to faith in Christ. There's an overflowing generosity that we talk about. One student was talking about wanting to take the gospel to Brazil, and before it was over, people from the congregation coming up, throwing money on the stage and just praising the Lord. There are people who are praying throughout the night. They're calling on God to change their hearts. There's confession of sin. All the things that you would think would mark a, 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 an outpouring of the Spirit, a reaction to what Christ is doing. So it begs the question, uh, how does that happen in our lives personally? I have been praying, I have believed for a long time that it's going to be Gen Z, this generation, where we're going to see a trigger of God's outpouring on our nation. Because this generation, think about it, we're talking about high school, kind of mid-20s, younger. This, I mean, this group, a portion of our congregation, uh, they've, they've gone through a pandemic. They've experienced racial uh, division and hostility they've experienced political division um, such as happened not happened in their lifetime certainly they've not been led well frankly they've not seen people with integrity leading the way in many ways uh, they've not been discipled well people who, who throw rocks at this next generation um, we, we say it this way we don't have a, a gen z problem uh, we have a discipleship problem that we can disciple this next generation of. And God is doing a new thing in this generation. And I praise him for it. He's doing a new thing in our, in, in, among our students. Uh, Taylor Lowry, our, our new student pastor, he's preaching in the Great Hall today. And students are there hearing him preach. And I'm so thrilled. If you've not met him, you need to because God has his hand on his life. And among others, Morgan and others, God is doing a new thing. But I believe that God shows up where he's wanted. That's how revival takes place. And it's how it happens in your own life. I like the word renewal because personal renewal can also be corporate renewal in a church family. When corporate renewal, even personal renewal goes viral, you have revival. And if you'll join me in these days, come join us on Wednesday night. I'd love for you to pray with us. Pray with me. Pray with our staff. That God would bring revival in whatever way he wants to bring it here in our context. won't look like it does in Lamore, Kentucky. It won't look, Wilmore, Kentucky. It won't look like it does in other places. Um, he shows up where he's wanted. And he shows up in a way that he wants to show up. All we need to do is humble ourselves before him. So I trust that you're coming before his word today in that kind of a posture. And what I want you to do is turn to John 15. Turn to John 15, and we're going to talk about what personal renewal looks like. In fact, if you uh, have never been here, I'd almost want to ask for raising of hands, but I'd love to meet you if you've never come to our church before. I'd love to meet you personally. Um, but maybe you're here for the first time. And maybe you're here and you're questioning, 
your own salvation or wonder what it looks like to actually be a Christian, to live the Christian life, this is the message. Now, you know that most of the time I'm pretty excited to open God's word. But today, I cannot over, overstate the importance of this message. Jesus gets right to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This is the seventh of the I am statements that he makes throughout the Gospel of John that we've walked through. Next week, as noted, Rodney noted, we're starting a new, uh, a new season and a new, uh, new series even of messages they're going to take us all the way to Easter. I hope you will not miss a week as we come together. But what does the Christian, look, uh, Christian life look like? We, we say it often that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, what does that mean? We're going to see it today. So today is a message of clarity for all of us. And you can't believe how passionate I have been praying to the Lord to clarify for every person in here whether you are saved or not saved. Whether you're in or out, and this can be the day, no longer do you need to wonder as we look at this passage today and listen to the Spirit of God. So I want us to, to dive in. I wonder, how many of you have ever heard of um, a Minnesota goodbye? Have you ever heard of this? Anybody? Minnesota goodbye? So it's a cultural thing. I now know this. Um, my my uh, daughter-in-law, Kate, who's married to my son, Travis, is from Minnesota. Now, I, I've only been there a couple times, and I'm not going to go in the winter. Not again. I just go in the springtime, land of 10,000 lakes, I think it is. But um, is it 10,000? 100,000. I mean, there's a lot of lakes. But um, there's this cultural thing. It's called the Minnesota Goodbye. And I've talked to other people and go, oh, yeah, that's real. That's real. And what it is, you, when you're, like, like you're having dinner with someone, like over at the house, and they, they told us this. This is a, a thing. Um, and before you go, you can't just leave. Like, oh, that was great. See you guys on Tuesday. You, you, you have to kind of trigger that you're going to be leaving. Like, it might be in an hour, but, you know, we're probably going to leave about nine. It's like two hours from now, but just we're, you know, it's great to be with y'all tonight. Well, then what you do after dinner, you, you stay there and talk. These are just good people is what it is. And then you, after that, you go to the den and you talk for a little bit. And you might have a little dessert, you know, and then, then you go to the foyer before you're leaving because now you're noting that, you know, it's probably time to go and we need to leave at some point. And you talk there in the foyer for a while at the front door. And then, they'll, then you're probably going to be asked if you'd like to have something to take home with you, like leftovers. We have something you, we can take with you. And then you go out to the car and you gather, you gather around the car. You don't go in yet. Don't get in the car yet. You talk a little bit longer. And, I mean, it could be 10 degrees, but you're just talking. <laughs> and then... And then you leave. And you wave when they're leaving. This is real. It's, I mean, it's the Minnesota goodbye. It's a long goodbye is what it is. And I say that because here what we see, this is important to understand. John 13 through 17 is a long goodbye. That's what we have. But this one is, has an ominous shadow over it. Because in chapters 13 through 17 of John... Jesus is in the upper room, and he has already triggered, you know, the, the disciples a bit by saying he's going to be leaving. He's been talking about the fact that he's going to die. He's even referenced that, that he's going to die at the hands of others, and there's something going on. They all know it. At the end of chapter 17, he's going to go out. He's going to be arrested, trumped up charges, trials along the way through the night. He's going to be flogged, almost beaten to death. He's going to die the next day. So this is why all of these words here, the gospel writer John, disciples, others who helped 
put this together are explaining what's going on here. And we have now uh, a long goodbye. They've stepped up from the Lord's Supper, from the Lord's table, in fact, where he has now made this seismic shift from the covenant of the law to the covenant of grace. And we're going to share in the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night as well. And we hope, again, hope you'll be here. This is, you could argue, this is the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. So this is a major, and this is a shift altogether on this night. And at the end of, of chapter 15, the disciples are wondering, how is all this going to happen without you here? You keep saying you're going to leave. And la- last week, if you heard Rolando, you're going to prepare a place for us. Where are you going? We don't know the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And then, then they're up from the table, but they're wondering. And at the end of, of John 15, he says, a helper's going to come. You're going to get the help you need. It's going to be the spirit that's going to come. And then at the end of, or in John 16, he says, it's to your advantage that I leave. They can't fathom what's happening here. And no wonder. We, we understand that. But then here in this passage, he's going to show us what it is to be in him to be with him, and to live for him. It's where we find the word abide. This word, not a word we use often, but a word that is so powerful for us as believers. Three aspects of abiding is to be in him, to be with him, and to live for him. So first, let's talk about what it is to be, that we abide in him, all right? So we see it in verse one, this is verses one through four, but look at verse one. It says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is a powerful statement. Now, 14 times we're going to see him talk about being in him, uh, my, me in you, you in me. So this in him doctrine is, is a salvific thing first. I want you to see this, meaning it, it is salvation first. He's talking to his disciples, and in our context today, these are people who already know him, who've received his grace. You, by faith, have received his grace. That's how we abide in him. You often see me talk about how we are in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are covered in his righteousness. Have you received his grace? If so, you are in him. And this is why I'm saying this. Once you're in him, you will always be in him. From a salvific standpoint. Once saved, you're always saved. Because you did nothing to achieve your salvation. You can do nothing to lose it. So to be in him is to be covered in his righteousness. Fully loved. Totally accepted. Completely uh, accepted by the Father and, and favored by him, you are now loved completely. And there's nothing you can do to break away from that love. Now, we're going to have some questions along the way this morning. What, is it, what does it really mean to be saved? How can I be certain that I'm saved? I have loved ones I'm concerned about. How can I know? He's going to tell us here. He says he's divine. And this is that ego, I, me statement. I am. I am. He's Yahweh. In this way. He is the vine dresser. This is not a new concept to the disciples, by the way. I want you to see how radical this is. This is not a new concept. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the vineyard. God is the vine dresser. We see it in Psalm 90 explicitly in places like Isaiah 5, where he says that they're not producing fruit. His people, Israel, is not 
producing fruit. In fact, the exile is described as plant, being replanted in another place, but they're not flourishing. They're not producing fruit like he's called them to. And so it's almost always towards condemnation. And we see it here a bit as well. But Jesus steps into that space, that understanding, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So look at this. God is the active vineyard. I'm curious, how many have ever been to the wine country out in California? All right, mass confession. All right, here we go. Um, so you've been there. It's beautiful there, right? I've only driven through it. But I, I, know, <laughs> I know that some of you go on vacations there. And, um, and you'd argue, well, Jesus, you know, drank wine. I said, well, yes, he did. He, sure he did. Um, and his disciples drank wine. But, but, it, but the vineyard, you know this. There, there's, a, there's a caring, loving, here's the picture, loving farmer intimately involved in his plants in the and he's talking about grapevines sure enough and so we have this this caring this pruning that's going to be taking place now this is that time of the year it's going to start happening you know all of our beautiful crepe crepe myrtles in dallas even in you know dallas blooms and all this stuff if you're here been here in dallas much but it's about the time of the year where we see that crepe murder right where they just chop them off and you go oh no that's too much and I know there's probably an art to, to doing that. I have a crepe myrtle or two in my yard. But um, sometimes you think, oh my goodness, that's never going to come back. Wait till the spring, right? Wait till the summer. Beautiful blooms. Sure enough, the pruning, the cutting away is so that life may come. And so this is the picture that we're seeing here. God actually cuts away at the unhealthy branches. Why? To bear more fruit. That's why. And this word here that, that is to take away, this is interesting. Taking away actually literally can mean lift up, lifting up. So you have this caring of the, of the vine dresser, loving vine dresser, which is so important. Think of a trellis, of a vine that's going up a trellis. He's not just chopping away randomly. Instead, he's the gentle, caring farmer, the vine dresser. Isn't it interesting? He's called the vine dresser. He's talking about great vines. He's talking about life to come okay it's going to come and so watch this how do you know this comes into play when we're thinking about our own uh, spiritual lives and our salvation how do you know if it's a healthy healthy vine how do you know fruit will tell you fruit is the proof fruit is the sign okay so this is so prevalent throughout this teaching here that we're going to see what is fruit this is a good time to pause and define fruit it's singular okay like uh, galatians 5 22 the fruit of the Spirit, that's a big part of this. In fact, I could argue this is the primary part of this. It's, it's fruit that's born into a life that is attached to the vine. Jesus, his Spirit working in us, creates this kind of life. The fruit is seen, so it happens inwardly, but it's always expressed outwardly. I could argue this. How about this? How do you know if someone belongs to Jesus? Fruit. What does it look like? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. It looks like, watch this, not just a morally good life. It looks like Jesus. It looks like the life of Jesus. So if you're wondering, is it real fruit or is it fake fruit? And I think all of us at varying degrees along the way have questioned our own salvation. 
I remember back, you know, in my youth days, but I've seen it as a pastor. It was often a student would have a new experience with God at camp or somewhere else. And um, they'd think, wow, I don't know if I was saved like a few years ago. I thought I was, but now I don't, know, I don't think I am now. Maybe I'm, now I'm saved. Or we enter into sin and we thought, I thought I was saved. How could I be doing these things if I'm saved? And so we have a lot of questions, and some of us are there today. How do you know if it's a real fruit or if it's fake fruit? Here it is. What is the motivation, and to whom is it pointing? What and to whom? Or how about this? Why and to whom? Why are you doing this? The fruitful life is not simply, again, a morally good life. It's a life that looks like Jesus, and as we'll see here, it's with him, and it's always for him. If not, it's just self-glorifying, okay? So why are you obeying God? What's the end game? Or are you doing these things, these good works? Why are you doing them and to whom? Every branch, watch this, that does bear fruit, don't miss that. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We see this throughout Scripture. In fact, Hebrews 12, 6 says he, he corrects those whom he loves. You may know uh, Revelation three nineteen. it says... He disciplines those whom he loves, like any good parent here. He disciplines us. Why? To help us mature, to help us grow, to help us bear more fruit. Okay? How, here's the question. How is God, this is a good time to pause, how is God pruning you today? I know you didn't come here necessarily thinking about this, though we just read this recently. How is he pruning you today? What's happening in your life currently? That you have not recognized as pruning. Instead, you've thought, perhaps, well, life is just hard and I live in this fallen world and these things happen. Or, well, that person has made some decisions in my life and it has really messed me up. Or how about this, if we're honest, much of the pain that we struggle with and a lot that we go through are simply consequences of our own decisions, of our own doing. There's almost a, a natural a switch that takes place that God has put in motion. Our sin has consequences. And, and some of us are facing some of those consequences. But my point is this. Could it be that he's actually cutting away the very things that have been hindering you from bringing more glory to him? Keeping you from more fruit that you've never thought possible. And you're going to hear this today. God is not into partial transformation. You may have given up. You may have stopped. He hasn't stopped. The vine dresser is lovingly pruning. He's working in your life. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean. Already you're clean. Okay, this is that salvific piece. You're saved. This is in our context now. After the cross. We are in him already. You're clean. Pure is the word. He makes us pure, not our doing, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Look at the tools of the farmer. His word. His word. This word pure, um, clean. How are, we, how are we purified? Did you catch that? The word, the truth purifies us. Now this, this represents all that is Jesus. It's the entirety of who Jesus is. He's the Word made flesh. It's the Bible, yes. It's His Word given to us. The truth sets us free. We're already clean because of what He's accomplished for us. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now again, this word abide can mean remain is a, is a good word. Dwell is our word. Stay in. I love what uh, the message says. Eugene Peterson has put it this way, that you would make your home in my love. Stay home. I love that. Stay where you belong. Stay in my love. Again, covered in my righteousness. Remember who you are. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing of eternal significance apart from him. Apart from the nourishment of the vine, you will shrivel up and die. We must stay connected to the vine. Are you? Staying connected to the vine. Are you staying in him? Because we know that we're already saved, but are you remaining in his love? Are you staying there? Not to lose your salvation, again, but instead to always stay in that identity. And friends, if you are, are wishy-washy, this is what he's getting to. If, you're, if you're, you're trying to do this life without him, you're going to be joyless. You can't serve two masters. It will destroy you. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so, you see, again, we're, we're, we're wondering, well, how, how do we know? Are we saved, not saved? How do you know if someone's saved or not? Well, I'd say quickly, I'd say, well, talk to them about Jesus. That's what you do. Explain the truth to them. See how they respond to it. But watch this. One in the room, while he's saying this, is a man named Judas. He's in the, he's in the room. And he has been in the group. He did not abide in the vine. So look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now immediately, you should be thinking with me, because this is debated by commentators, theologians. Is he talking about believers or is he talking about unbelievers? And I wonder what your thoughts are there. Verse 5, he's already said, watch this. He says there's nothing, there's, there's, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. No such thing. If someone is not bearing fruit, no signs of being like Jesus, especially, watch this, no desire, no, not leaning into, not, not on a trajectory to become like Jesus. None of us do this perfectly. If there's no desire, are they saved? Are they a believer? No. They are not. Because the Spirit of God creates this, this new desire within us. And again, we've all had seasons where I haven't always lived like a believer. I don't always want to go to church. I don't always want to worship Him. I don't always want to obey Him. That's all of us. We're going to get to that. He gets to that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. John Calvin is the one who said faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. This is what Jesus is saying. How do you know if it's alive? Fruit. If, if there's no fruit, it's dead. It's diseased. It needs to be cut off. So if there's not a trajectory, friends, in your life or others that you know, a desire to know him more and to pursue him, that person, only God knows. We've we got we to pause there. That person does likely not a believer. And I could argue this. We all have doubts. 
But I think the very fact that you're doubting your salvation might be proof that you're not saved. And we've got to wrestle with this, this one before we leave today. So we are, are you in him? Are you saved? Are you in him or not? Have you received his grace by faith? And today you have opportunity to do that. And then secondly, look at this. We abide with him. We abide with him. Verses 7 through 11. How do we remain in him? How do we experience personal renewal every day? Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this sounds interesting. It sounds like at first a non sequitur. Like, wait, I thought you were what? Now he's talking about praying and whatever you ask. Now he gets the good news. Are you in him? Here's the proof. Watch this. Obedience and prayer. Obedience and prayer. I, I could argue obedience and answered prayer. Obedience and answered prayer. We, we say it this, this way. The number one hindrance to unanswered prayer, because a lot of us think, well, I don't see God answer a lot of prayers. I, I, I just don't see it a lot. I just, I, maybe I don't pray like I should because I just don't know that prayer works. I, don't see, I haven't seen it a lot. You know what? The number one hindrance to, to unanswered prayer in your life is prayerlessness. That's it. And, and are you praying? Are you really pursuing him? Obedience and prayer is what Jesus says will be the sign. Those are marks. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Look at this. He wants a lot of fruit. And so prove, there it is, evidence that you are my disciples. Again, what is this fruit? It's love expressed in its various forms, ultimately. That impacts lives around us. And we see the fruit of lives changed all around us. But here's the focus. Don't miss this. The focus is not so much on the fruit. Though he's talking a lot about fruit. The focus, what he's getting to, is being attached to the source. To the vine. Then fruit will follow. If you're in him. If you're a believer. Fruit will come in your life. That's what he's saying. And, and so a lot of times we focus on the fruit. Don't we? Oh, look at her fruit. Man, his fruit. Wow, he's got a boatload of fruit. Look at her fruit. Our fr is my fruit big enough? Is it not big enough? Her fruit is big. I wish my fruit looked like their fruit. He said, no, 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 no. Focus on the vine. Abide in him. Because watch this. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God works in your life differently than he does in others. But we've already noted, look, how can we continue to stay in this life? This is the Christian life. How do we remain in him? How do we remain? Okay, this is it. I love this. What's our motivation? Never forget this. Here it is, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, friends, circle that verse. Mark that verse. Highlight that verse. Because verse, verse 9 says, look. Jesus says, I love you like the Father loves me. Ponder that. Meditate on that. Scrutinize that. Get underneath that. And if you're new around here, you know that's what we do every Sunday. Let's talk about it. We sang it earlier. If ever I love you, my Jesus, tis now. I've often wondered, I've said it before, when I'm singing that, are we really, are we honest? Like, do I love him today more than I ever have before? I don't know if I can say that today. I'd like to think. I know this. He loves me more than he ever has before. His love never changes. That's why we sing the song. He loves 
us. And so, Lord, we love you. Lord, forgive me in the moments when I have forgotten or thought that your love is small. Lord, forgive me when I have, for all the damage that I've done in my life and the people around me, when I thought your love for me was small. When I, I've sought love from all, all the wrong places and, and, and sought to fill myself up from other places when you have already loved me with all the love that I need. And I think it's interesting here, friends. This is, and I caught this, if you'll geek out with me for just a moment. When I discovered that the word abide, it's a verb, I knew that, it's an imperative command. But watch this, it's an aorist active imperative tense in the Greek, which means something. It means that the action of the verb is actually describing the result of something that's happened before. And what's happened before is triggering now this action, motivating a fitting response to what's happened. What's happened? Jesus says, I love you like the Father loves me. The Father loves me with a perfect, unconditional, undying, forever love that does not change. Perfect agape love. That's how he loves me. The Father and the Son, the Spirit, are forever indwelling together from eternity forward, eternity past and forward. And, and he says, I love you that way. God loves you that way. And so that's what has happened, ultimately expressed on the cross, already taking place. This is the initiator. He is the one. And now he motivates us to love him as he has loved us. Remain in my love is what he's saying. Abide in me. Stay with me. He doesn't say, now this is important to note, when you really feel like it, love me. I mean, when you really got it together, you really want to, you feel like obeying me, obey me. Again, this is so important to understand. Because this is a partnership. I and you, you and me. If you remain, if you obey. You see, w this is our part. And this is so key for us. The, the way that what's, how do, we, how do we bear fruit? What do we need to do? It's the spiritual disciplines. There, there are things that we do. Holy habits that put us in position to hear from God and to be used by Him. Many of us say, well, I would serve in ministry, but you know, that's whew, kind of a hassle. And, you know, if I, or I, could, I could serve in our children's ministry. I could be with our kids, or I could take care of babies, or I could be, I could be a leader. But, you know, I'd have to show up every week. Like, every week I'd have to be there. i got things I want to do. i got other things that I want to do. I, I could go serve a neighbor. I could go care for someone. I could be, I could be in the choir. I could, I could serve in a connect group. I could go on mission. But you know, I've got a lot. That's just a lot. I don't know if I feel like doing that. And friends, this is what he's talking about here. Because here's the thing. An encounter with Jesus. This is for us who come on a Sunday morning. Praise be to God. It, it is one of the core disciplines that needs to be at the, at the center of your life. To be here every week. How do we abide in him? How do we remain in him? Come to worship with his people every week. That's one way, big way. The other is to be in his word, which is why we're all walking together, right? You've already heard about dwell in our new bookmarks that you need to grab today. i got a bunch of them up here because I'm sending them to my mom. I'm sending them to everybody. I'm on a text group with people. We're doing it as a staff together. You need to say, hey, will you join me in this? And that's real simple, gang. By the way, I have a core group of friends. Every morning we're texting about this. Hey, what did you learn today? How did that speak to you? Wow, that is awesome. And you can do the same. Let's be accountable. Let's be in his word. How do you abide in him? How do you remain in him? The spiritual practices. 
Because you can experience, watch this, an experience, an encounter with Jesus will set you free, but your habits will keep you free. If you don't enter into spiritual habits, and we've all done this, we have an encounter with Jesus, we go right back to the same sin. Why? Because Jesus can set you free, you can be in him, but it will be your habits that keep you in him. And I mean with him. Abiding in his love, right? Again, not to lose your salvation, but to be with him. And too many of us are not consuming God's word and we're consuming all kinds of other information in our lives. This is such a challenge for us. I find it interesting that what we consume, and we use those words, we're consumers of of a news feed. We feed on it as consumers. And a lot of us are, are consuming a diet that is creating anxiety in our lives. And we need to change the diet, friends. We need to change the diet completely. That God would be the one who speaks into us before we begin the day. That we would be in his word. We'd abide in him. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Look, it's his joy. Did you catch that? Jesus was the most joyous person who's ever lived. He was the man of sorrows. Yes, he went to the cross. You could argue he had a horrible life. He ended up dying a criminal's death on a cross. He was the most joyful person that ever lived. What is joy? We talk about this at Christmas time a lot. It's being right in the center of God's, work, God's will. Your identity found in him, living out his will, that's where the joy comes from. Jesus says, I want you to have that kind of joy. When we abide in him, we are with him. We're with him. And so the scriptures tell us, Colossians 2 says that we are, go, we are we're, we're, we're buried with him. We, 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 we descend with him. We are raised up in him. We, we, are, we are forgiven. We're made alive in him. Romans 6 says the same thing. It says baptism. We're buried in, we're buried with him. We're raised up with him. We, we are raised to life. We're going to be ascended with him. We're going to be exalted. We're going to be lifted up with him. We're going to rule with him or with him. The point is this. Once you're in him, you are with him and you are inextricably linked to him. And, and yet when we abide in him, we experience all that we already are in him, you see. And so finally, we'll close with this. Thirdly, we abide for him. We abide in order to live for him. And so look at this, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love. This will be the word repeated over and over. Agape love, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. He's saying, if you, comm- if you do what I command, a proof. That's proof you're my friends. So abiding leads us always outside of ourselves. The spiritual disciplines, yes, the spirit works in us, but they're always worked out to love others. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. Slaves, by the way, for slaves, they don't know what the master's doing. They don't know the full plan, but you do. I call you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that it would abide so that, here it is, whatever you ask, 
wow, in the fa- and, and ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's back to prayer again. Obedience and prayer. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now look at that. He says, in my name. When you, friends, you know this? When you abide in him, some of us are like, I don't know, my prayer life's not real powerful right now. Are you abiding in him? Because when we abide in him, we are with him, living for him. We know him and we pray according to his name, in his name. According to his will, according to his character, according to his purpose. And watch this. When you pray according to his purpose, he answers your prayer 100% of the time. When you answer and you pray according to his will, the end game of abiding, dwelling in him, is to glorify him by bearing much fruit. Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world. And we do good works in order to glorify our Father in heaven. And here we see the essence of the Christian life. This is it. This is the Christian life. Being in him because of all that he's done. Remaining in him, abiding in him. And all that we do will then be for him. That's it. This life is not that complicated. And so what I want us to do now is to close our eyes and just bow our heads as we close our time. And I want to ask you some questions. There's a couple of questions here for each one of us before we go. And the first one, friend, you can settle this. You can settle this today. Are you in him? Have you received his grace by faith? Not by works, but by faith. Have you received his gift of grace accomplished for you on the cross? He took on your punishment, your shame, what should have come to you. And he took it upon himself. And now say yes to him. Lord, I believe. I believe. Help me with my unbelief, but I believe. I want to settle this today. I belong to you. I give you my life. Thank you for rescuing me from my sin. And I'm sorry for the way that I've been living. And I give you my life. And for those of us who know that we know, we are certain that we are in him, because of all that he's done for us, nothing we've done. Friend, will you commit to abide in him? To be in his word to be in the church, to be a sacrificial giver, to experience the joy of giving and growing in giving, to serve others. What will you do? What is he calling you to do? Lord, thank you that we are a church of people who desire nothing more than to remain in the vine, attached to your source of goodness and joy, In this life, we give you our lives anew. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.